we have done a lot of regrouping this morning on so many different levels today. Uh, <laughs> so you'll have to bear with us as we um, shift around and kind of wing it a little bit. Um, Ashley and I had one thing prepared for uh, the witnessing God at work this morning. And in the tight quarters that we're in and the setup that we're, we're using, we're unable to do that this morning. So you'll just have to wait until next year for our special guest on Christ the King Sunday. Um, believe me, it's worth the wait. Um, so I thought this morning I would take just a few moments to talk about Christ the King Sunday and why that's important and what that means and um, about this transition time as we prepare to start the new year. And what, by the new year, I don't mean January 1st, because as a church, we celebrate the new year on the first Sunday of Advent. That is when our church year actually starts. So next year, if you would like to really throw people for, or not next year, next Sunday, if you would like to really throw people for a loop, you can go around telling people Happy New Year. And then when they ask you, what in the world are you talking about, you crazy person, you have an in to talk to them about coming to church and checking out the new year and the celebration as we prepare for Christmas. So um, this, then, is our last Sunday in the church year. It's not our last day in the church year. That'll be this Saturday. But it is the last Sunday, which is why um, many churches celebrate communion on this day because it's considered one of the big shebang kind of days. Um, we open our year with communion and we close our year with communion together. And that's also why I have changed out of my green stole, um, or rather my green stoles. I have a friend who says that uh, stoles are kind of like shoes or purses for female clergy. We sort of collect them. Um, I probably have four sets of them, I think, at this point. Um, but I'm no longer wearing the green ones. The white one has come out. And that is because we use uh, the white pyramids and the white stoles to represent Christ and kind of the high holy Sundays of the church year. And we will start our new year next week as we begin Advent. And Advent is represented with the purple. And so for a few weeks, we'll have the purple pyramids out. I'll be wearing purple stole or stoles. Um, there may be more than one, so keep an eye on those. And Advent is our time of waiting. So we've just spent this Sunday talking about how big and exciting Jesus is and the kingship and the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we kind of do this screeching halt as we begin to wait for this tiny little baby to show up in a manger. But with that remembrance fresh in our minds that that tiny little baby in a manger, that very vulnerable, tiny person, is actually the king of all creation. And so we see Christ the king even in that very beginning of our year as we start the new cycle. And Advent runs from December 3rd through December 24th. Now generally we start singing the Christmas carols and reading the Christmas story on uh, Christmas Eve itself because most churches don't have church on Christmas morning anymore as was traditional. So that has sort of shifted a little bit and in fact on um, many liturgical calendars you'll see that Christmas Eve is half purple and half white. So you can sort of choose which way you want to go with that one and we generally um, move over into Christmas on that night the 24th. And then we switch back from the purple to the white again as we celebrate Christmas. Christmas doesn't start the day after Thanksgiving. Contrary to cultural belief, Christmas starts on December 25th, not a moment before. Um, I even hate putting up my Christmas tree ahead of time, but the family won't let me get away with waiting until Christmas Eve to put up the tree. So we do put it up before that. 
But Christmas doesn't start until December 25th, and it doesn't end until January 7th this year. You've got 12 days that are Christmas. You have several Sundays, several worship services that are Christmas services, including the one where it kind of culminates at Epiphany, which is where Jesus meets the world. The world realizes that Jesus is here. That's when we tend to celebrate the wise men having come and seen the new baby. Um, In many church nativity sets, you'll see that the baby doesn't go into the manger until Christmas Eve, and the wise men do not come onto the scene until Epiphany. Um, And that is the celebration of that. And we will be at the beginning of this year. It wasn't at Epiphany. It was when I started. We did the Star Words, the Epiphany Star Words. And we'll do those again this year. Um, And we'll do those on Epiphany Sunday this year. Now, after Epiphany, we switch from the white back to the trusty old green. One of the reasons to have several sets of stoles and um, such is because you spend a lot of time in the green ones and they get boring after a while. (laughs) And that season is simply called ordinary time. It was not a creative naming of this time. Anything that is green is ordinary time. So we have purple that is for waiting. We have white that is for like Jesus is awesome and big and huge and we're celebrating. We have green for the other stuff. (laughs) And this runs from January 8th till February 10th. And February is when we begin to talk about Lent, and we start to move into that season. And we have one day of white between ordinary time and Lent, and I'm not going to keep putting it on and off again just for one Sunday, but we have Transfiguration Sunday, where we talk about the Transfiguration and how Jesus is revealed in different ways in the world. And then we move into Lent on Ash Wednesday. This is where we begin to go into another season of waiting, but this time we're not waiting for the Messiah to be born. We're waiting for the Messiah's sacrifice on our behalf. We're recognizing our great deep need for the redemption that we find in Jesus Christ. And so it's a time of reflection. It's a time of simplicity and of introspection. And it runs this year from February 14th through March 31st. It ends in Holy Week with Maundy Thursday, this um, remembrance of the Last Supper, with Good Friday, the remembrance of the cross, with Holy Saturday, the remembrance of that day where Jesus was no longer walking on earth but had not yet uh, been resurrected. And then we move on from there to Easter. And Easter, like Christmas, is not just one Sunday. So if you have people in your lives who say they only come to church on Christmas and Easter, remind them that that uh, equals about eight Sundays then that they should be in church at least. Easter runs this year from April 1st to May 19th, and we spend this time celebrating Christ's resurrection, Christ's movement in the world after the cross, and how we can participate in that resurrection of Jesus Christ. From there, we get the one day that we get to break out the red stones. Red is our Holy Spirit color, 
and we wear this on Pentecost, which is the celebration of the Holy Spirit coming down and sort of instituting the church, making the church happen, breathing life into it. We do also get to bring the red ones out for things like ordinations. So you may see this for one Sunday in January when we have the ordination and installation of officers coming in for 2018. Um, but otherwise, you'll get to see it on May 20th, and then it'll be locked back away for a while again. Then we have another white Sunday. That's Trinity Sunday, where we celebrate not just God Creator, not just God the Son, not just the Holy Spirit, but all three. And their participation in our lives, our participation in the life of God, and how does that work? How does that happen? Then from there, we get out the green souls for a very, very, very long time. The rest of the year, in fact. So from May 28th to November 18th, we go back into ordinary time. And generally, this time is spent um, reflecting on the Gospels, some of the epistles, um, talking about what does it mean to be the church. Now that we have talked about the Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost, we've talked about the Trinity, what does that look like then in the world at large? And so we spend a good portion of our year applying that to our lives. And then we return to Christ the King Sunday, where all of these things that we have seen and read and heard and reflected on and done culminate in the one message that binds them all together and that is that Christ is King, that Jesus is Lord and that deeply affects us in how we move in the world. It shakes all of creation. It's such a big statement and that's where we are today celebrating the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the one who we begin to wait for next week. So as you move into your week this week, you are free to begin to tell people Happy New Year. Not Merry Christmas yet, because it is Advent, but Happy New Year, because it is Advent. With all those colors in mind, as we think about where we are today as we celebrate Christ, let us, let's pray and prepare to hear God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that today we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Our Old Testament reading for the day comes from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, and verses 20 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have still been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of that country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing lands, and on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will free feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you punish with side and shoulder, and thrust all at the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them, and he will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Our new passage reading for the day can be found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what you are the riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, 
Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. There are some pretty terrible things being said and done these days by people who claim to be Christian. All you have to do is read the comments section of just about any online news article. There are Christians defending the names of or making excuses for sexual predators. Women are still frequently told by pastors to stay in abusive marriages and to submit better or just be a better wife, while abusive husbands in those settings are rarely held accountable. Every time there is a natural disaster, there are religious leaders who get up publicly and instead of offering comfort, offer nothing but judgment and condemnation, claiming that the events are God's punishment for whatever the trendy judgment sin of the hour is. There are churches who write hate speech on picket signs and protest military funerals, synagogues, even the funerals of the victims of the Sandy Hook school shooting several years ago. The KKK even considers itself a Christian organization. And it's not like this abuse of the Christian identity is new. Let's not forget that the Crusades were undertaken in the name of Christ, as well as the Spanish Inquisition. Much, if not most, of the German church supported or at least tolerated the Nazi regime leading up to World War II. Frequently, when I'm talking to people who don't go to church, these examples of appalling behavior in the name of Christianity are cited as reasons that they'd prefer to be spiritual without being part of organized religion. It's enough to make me want to wear a t-shirt that says, I'm not that kind of Christian. Or the Bible I know and love talks about being nice to people. I read a passage like our gospel reading today, and I wish Jesus would just hurry up and separate the goats from the herd because the image that the church has in culture at large these days is something completely different than what I see and experience here in this place and in most of the churches I've been to. They're warm and loving places. And I'm not alone in my frustration. More and more these days, well-known Christian leaders are standing up right and left, stating that these sorts of things are unchristian. Rachel Held Evans, Beth Moore, William Barber, Russell Moore are all among those currently saying enough is enough. It's important to start with living by example. Man, that can be exhausting. It's hard to wake up every day and say, I'm going to go out and love God and love others with all of my being in spite of what the world says. I'm going to go out and be the sort of Christian that Jesus says we're supposed to be not the sort of Christian that the world expects me to be. 
We live in a world in which about 21% of all landfill volume in our country is food, while worldwide about 9 million people die of hunger and hunger-related diseases every year. That's more than double the lives taken by AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. Every 10 seconds, a child dies from hunger. 780 million people around the world lack access to clean water, and it would only cost about $10 billion a year to provide clean water for everyone, which sounds like a lot until you realize that is about half of what the U.S. spends on pet food every year. And the U.S. national deficit is something like $20 trillion. There are over half a million homeless men and women in our country, about 8% of whom are veterans. There are somewhere in the ballpark of 100 million homeless worldwide and an estimated 1.6 billion without adequate housing. There are over 65 million refugees and other asylum seekers in the world fearing for their lives. The CDC estimates that there are 1.4 million nursing home residents in the U.S., and only about 50% of them have close family. There have been over 35 million hospital admissions in our country this year. Half of the world's prison population of about 9 million is held in the U.S., China, or Russia. Prison rates in the U.S. are the world's highest, at 724 people per 100,000. Just in the Allegheny County Jail alone, there are 2,500 to 2,700 inmates on an average day. So it can feel like we, as those who are faithfully trying to genuinely love people and do right in the world, have the weight of the world on our shoulders. Where are all the rest of the people who are supposed to be doing God's work? What is up with people saying they are Christian but taking advantage of or neglecting the vulnerable? When does Jesus show up in all of this mess? Our gospel passage this morning is the last of this series of four parables Matthew shares regarding the kingdom of God, heaven, redeemed creation, and what we are to do as we prepare and wait. And it reminds us that in that waiting time, taking care of the people around us, and there are plenty to take care of, is the same as taking care of Jesus. It's not just about charity. It's not just about doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's not just about living out the Christmas spirit. We're not even supposed to do it because somehow we ourselves can fix the world. It's about community and family. It's about participating in God's work. It's about seeing the vulnerable around us as if they were Christ himself and acting accordingly. It's about seeing the weak and downtrodden around us as if they were the very one we proclaim to be king. This is Jesus once again taking cultural ideas of power and weakness and turning them upside down. It's fascinating that in this parable, neither the, sheeps nor, neither the sheep nor the goats know what's happening at first. They're all caught off guard by what Jesus says. The righteous and the unrighteous alike say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
clearly the righteous were not doing these things to be noticed. They weren't just doing it to make sure people know that they are nice to be around. They weren't doing it so they would have a good name or reputation. They weren't just doing it so people would know they're not that kind of Christian. These actions were so woven into the way they saw and interacted with the people around them that it didn't even occur to them that it was something of note. Whereas the unrighteous were so stuck in seeing how unlike Jesus their neighbors were that they never noticed Jesus right there in the face of another. And both groups thought they were good to go. Both thought they were doing God's work. Both groups appear to recognize Jesus as Lord, as shepherd. Presumably, they all identified as being part of the flock. But not all of them really understood what it meant to be part of a community united to one another in Jesus Christ. There's another surprising thing about the encounter that the sheep and the goats in this parable have with Jesus the shepherd. They are surprised to find out that the kingdom is not just something they've been waiting on, but something they have been participating in or ignoring all along. They've been waiting for the reign of Christ to happen, and it's been there the whole time where the righteous have been serving others. And while they have been waiting to see it, and it's been right there in front of their faces, wherever people are being cared for. We aren't just sitting around waiting for a someday king to come and to sweep us away. Jesus is already king. And that is a pretty bold statement. We don't have a king in the United States, and so sometimes we lose the power of that statement. We haven't had a king since the American Revolution. So sometimes the power of a statement like Jesus is king is lost on us. Maybe we should try Jesus is the real president. And immediately when I said that, I'll bet some of you cringed because it sounded like a criticism of or a shot at our current president. Maybe others of you thought it sounded like a relief. It's an uncomfortable thing to say or to hear, regardless of how you may feel about our current political leaders. Believe me that as I said that, I was keenly aware of all of the cultural baggage that statement drags out into the air from both sides of the political spectrum and everything in between. And now we're a bit closer to the cultural weight and discomfort associated with saying that Jesus is king. When the author of Ephesians says that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, he is also keenly aware of all the cultural baggage that statement dragged out into the air. We live in a world that likes powerful kings and rulers, not kings who identify with the vulnerable. That's why we have so many starving, homeless, thirsty, and lonely. And this is nothing new. The world has always been like that. And that is what Jesus came to redeem. When we say Jesus is king and we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, we are saying that there is hope in the world for all those who are hungry and thirsty and homeless and displaced, for those who are sick and in prison and lonely. We are saying that there is hope for this dark and hurting world that tends to ignore or displace the vulnerable. When we say Jesus is king, we are saying that people matter. 
We are saying that people matter in the grand scheme of things and on a day-to-day, everyday necessity basis. When we talk about Jesus being king, we're not talking about someone who is a king on a distant throne somewhere. Jesus is king over this world, here and now. We can see Jesus in the most unlikely of places, not in places of power, not on thrones, not in the Senate. We see Jesus wherever we see the weak, the vulnerable, and the small being cared for. And when we jump in and care for others by feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming strangers, clothing those with nothing, visiting the sick and the prisoner, we are proclaiming that Jesus is king of all. These aren't just nice things to do. They are proclamations that Jesus is king. These are acknowledgments that Jesus' kingdom isn't some far-off place. It's right here, and it's right now. So as we go out and we prepare for Advent, a time that is usually set aside for reflection and kindness and the giving spirit, let's not just sit around waiting for the baby in the manger. Let's acknowledge that the one we wait to place in our nativity sets is already here and is already ruling. Let's look for him in the faces of the people around us as we minister to the vulnerable. Let's proclaim in all that we do that Jesus is King. Amen.